0: We choose to go to the moon Okay everybody Uh, This week we are continuing Our uh, American space program Theme back from two weeks ago When we did um, First man And this week we are going to do Phil Kaufman's 1983 The Right Stuff Welcome, Peter. Welcome. Oh, hey! Before we go any further, Peter, you got any beamens?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's got- un- yeah. I know, not exactly a common
0: gum these days, is it? <laughs> no. Although, have you ever had beamens? No, but I imagine it's probably terrible. When we were in high school, it was re marketed probably based on the success of this film
1: yep
0: um and uh, i remember like i saw it and i was so excited and i bought a pack and it tasted like bengay it's really weird like it's Hmm. not what you think gum tastes like that didn't stop me from chewing it but you know (laughs) um probably was
1: good it probably was good for your constitution
0: (laughs) (laughs) or my constipation
1: (laughs) (laughs) that too that's probably why. Um, that's probably why Chuck <laughs> Yeager
0: was chewing <killing> it. <laughs> All those long hours in the jet. <laughs> um, so this is um, this is the film adaptation of Tom Wolfe's 1979 book. Um, that, in contrast to First Man, which really is about Gemini and Apollo through the eyes of a, uh, you know, sad and. Um, Introverted Neil Armstrong, this is a really kind of uproarious, um, humorous, you know, really, humorous, really humorous, exciting, uh, dramatic, swaggering. Um, yes, yeah, sweeping tale of really the dawn of the space age, really beginning with uh, rocket powered planes, most notably the X 1 and Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier. All the way through the very, very end of Project Mercury, right? And it's kind of told.
1: It has a sort of a sweeping overview, but it's told mostly, or it centers on two men, Chuck Yeager and Gordo Cooper. Who um, who was Gordo Cooper was one of the Mercury Seven astronauts, the last one to fly.
0: And and I think well, I think John Glenn too. Like a lot of the movie is a lot of the movie is about Glenn. I mean. The 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 Gordo Cooper character, he you know him and Jaeger bookend the movie a little bit more, whereas the center of the movie is more about John Glenn. But even some of Glenn, except for the scenes
1: about his wife, it's more a sort of Glenn from an outside viewpoint than the, than really about Glenn because the, they they sort of they show um gordo cooper kind of moving around with his wife and what the viewpoint his viewpoint is like a lot whereas glenn is just sort of this perfect um sort of deadly do right yes and and that's the way he's seen sort of you know
0: from the eyes of the other astronauts as well to a certain extent um but you know in contrast to first man this movie i tell you you know in preparation for the podcast i re-watched this and it made me think a lot about first man and boy is is the right stuff a better film and that's that's not taking anything away from first man but boy is this a better film and i gotta say too this is a hell of a lot more fun to watch i mean yeah
1: this there's, is, fun this is watch, a really
0: but... winning film yeah, I probably don't like it as much as you do. I
1: think I like Apollo 13 the best out of the sort of the astronaut themed movies which I think we're going to do next, but um I I I like it, but it's sort of um I don't know, it has a little bit of a superficial's too strong a word. It the, the tree, it's breezy. It's almost almost a little too breezy in some ways to me. Um I mean, this is a minor complaint because it's a good. It's a well, good movie I mean, it's, it's a little fun. hard to call a three and a half hour movie breezy. I mean, just it's the tone of the film. You're right; it's a, it's a rather long epic. <laughs> it doesn't feel too long watching it because it's easy to take. It's sort of deftly made. Um, it's lightly done. I think the only thing they don't do super well are some of the flying scenes um, because they didn't really have the effects to shoot. Um, good scenes out the window. So whenever they're shooting out the window, it looks a little goofy to me. But um, the rest of the time, it's pretty well done. And they're the way they intercut historical footage and live footage is really good. It's really seamless when they do that.
0: Yeah, and there's only a little. Most of the historical footages are the launches, and, but yeah, a, a and lot JFK, of it, a lot of it, yeah. they did themselves. And you know, this is all. This is one. 100 percent practical effects oh yeah i mean they didn't have they
1: did not have computer effects then it was pre you know computer graphics of any meaning I No, mean, oh, this is way
0: this way, is, way 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 this is asteroids graphics.
1: and space invaders time
0: yeah i think it was is it was gary gutierrez who did the effects there they made a ton of models for this and uh they, they did, did a nice You know. Job. They did really good job, and the I think actually the flying scenes look really good. I mean, <clears everything <clears except for out the window.
1: Those are like the when only. they show them looking forward, when they show the 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 first person view out the out the the uh, out of the cockpit, it I tends to look it looks a little goofy. You know, they sort of know. show these spinning. It, it looks very abstract.
0: Well, but I think that the, when you see it spinning it's supposed to be that they are blacking grappling we yeah, grappling with staying conscious and you, yeah. I mean you only really see that you see that a little tiny bit when Jaeger breaks the sound barrier and then you see it when Jaeger has his mishap in the X1a years later but like for example when Jaeger flies the 104 you don't really see that you see sort of the you know he's on the edge of space in that scene but we'll get to that
1: yeah no it's the only thing I think doesn't look great but every all the other effects look great i mean
0: yeah it 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 does look great it feels good you know like you know like the way that they do edwards air force base which then is muroc airfield back in the day but you know the way that they make that feel like they're riding horses they're out in the high desert they're going to panchos it's a dump it's a it's a dump, but it's it's also supposed to be where you know where they really want to be. Like it's a yep. mecca for them and a dump for anyone else. Yep. No, it's um, a and the dump. way they that just don't
1: care. Yeah. And
0: even the way that the you know, early NASA is is sort of shown as it's a little bit. It's not that it's 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 cut rate or low budget. It's like you know they're just throwing it. They're throwing everything together. It's like cement block houses and you know, metal gantries and stuff like that. Like they're just making it up as they go. Yeah. the And the little
1: bits of like the inside of the capsule look great. And just all, all the effects, the outside, the
0: costuming is, is perfect. The, yeah, they're they're, they're, there. The, the Mercury spacesuits look really good. Um, and, uh, this is, you know, this, and I think, you know, you got to give all the credit to Phil Kaufman. I mean, this yeah. was probably a very daunting film to make. I mean, the, the book's the size of a telephone book. Um, and, you know, the book covers everything in excruciating detail. And he really kind of managed to capture the feel of the book. You know, the sort of like Tom Wolfe, new journalism style. You know, a way of telling a story like that. Right. Uh, I think that he, they were able to really do, and he captures some of the humor. You know, there's there are
1: humorous scenes like when they're holding in an anima and running around, and then right or when they're
0: all jerking off yeah, in the bathroom, and, and singing and the Air Force. You know, so
1: the one of the theme, best, one of the best uh, jokes is also when Alan Shepard's delayed his launch is delayed so long, and he has he drank a bunch of coffee and he has to pee. <laughs> And he's stuck up in the capsule, and they're afraid to tell him to go. And while he's like sitting there suffering, they show all these like guys pouring coffee, and a guy like spraying, going to the
0: bathroom, spraying a
1: hose out by the rocket.
0: Like they show all these
1: seats just to sort of highlight the the fact that he has to urinate so badly, and it's it's really funny. It's really well. It it doesn't. Uh, it comes off. Uh, it, he pulls it off really well, and it's really funny.
0: And there's a lot of sort of like male sort of camaraderie mixed in with competitiveness it's all sort of one and the same right he he captures the 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 book is about that a lot it's about
1: the the culture among the the test pilot the fighter jocks become test pilots become astronauts
0: right and they all want to be on top like one of my one of my favorite lines in the movie that sort of illustrates the whole thing is how you know, they're doing the science and the engineering and the flying, but the competition is really what's on their mind. And, um, you know, we see Jaeger break Mach 1. Later on, we see Scott Crossfield uh, break Mach 2 in the D558 Phase 2. And then when Jaeger goes up in the X1A and he goes, Mach 2.1. Sorry, Scotty. Like, right away, he's got to have the dig over the radio at the right. other guy in flight, you know, because he knows that other guy is listening because
1: right. he is right and then of course he's going for <clears throat> Mach three immediately because because he knows that people only care about whole numbers
0: right and 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 there's a you know there's also i think a, a woven into the the movie is the real danger of this like it's not all fun and games and you know the movie begins like the very opening scene of the movie uh over the narration is is somebody Essentially dying, right? Uh, There's a bunch uh, of
1: which, funeral scenes in the beginning of the movie just to set the tone. This funeral right. scenes in the desert in this sort of desolate landscape with this very dour um, undertaker, or, right? Or and I, th- I think he's
0: actually supposed to be death. Yeah, yeah. Like think, he's yes. he's literally like death embodied because he appears throughout the movie at right. various times. Like he's often seen in the background at Cape Kennedy. Like how would he have gotten there? What would he be doing? But whenever there's danger or a question that the astronaut might die, he's often shown in the background, like you know, like he's just waiting.
1: Yeah, when like right when when Shepard's, you know, getting on the lift to go up to the top of the rocket, he's standing there looking mm-hmm. at him. So yeah, he he right, he's he's Death, and that's why they made him so gaunt looking
0: and dressed in black, yeah. Um, you know, and, and in a way that, for example, First Man played up the melodrama of the wives, you know, they do some of that here, and and the most of the astronauts are shown having wives and what they go through, it doesn't linger on it so much. It's just sort of meant to convey to you that it's not just the astronauts who have a hard time of things, it's their families as well. Although Barbara Hershey, who plays Glennis Yeager, seems to have sort of the most acceptance of everything. And other than the scene where Yeager breaks the sound barrier for the first time, she's not really shown to be particularly stressed or worried about his career. No, I think
1: she's a little... More of a free spirit, maybe than than some of the others,
0: and and she came through World War II. You know, these are she's supposed to be a little older than the other the other women, right? Um, so we can't talk about this movie without talking about the unbelievable cast, yeah, right? So Sam Shepard is essentially the core of this film is Chuck Yeager, right? And then and then over the course of three hours and change, we get Dennis Quaid. Scott Glenn, right. Ed Harris, Fred Ward,
1: yeah.
0: Lance Heinrichson, yeah. Veronica Cartwright, Lambert from Alien, by the way. Right. Um, Harry Shearer and Jeff Goldblum are sort of the ubiquitous NASA uh, junior <laughs> right. level administrators. That's Hershey. Harry Shearer from The Simpsons. Yeah. And all the narration sounds like Kent Brockman in the whole movie. <laughs> um, Donald Moffat um, plays Lyndon Johnson. Um yeah, who you've seen everybody in this? in
1: this movie, like oh, every yeah. actor you've seen.
0: Did you recognize who that was playing Annie Glenn?
1: Um, I can't remember because
0: I wasn't. That's I was speaking through at this time. That's Mary Joe Deschanel, who I believe is Zoe Deschanel's mother. Okay, so she's in there too. But I mean, you've seen yeah, everybody I mean, in in other movies, basically. <laughs> And they yeah they just do a great job um, did you recognize nurse Merch by the way no yeah. that's Jane Dornacker um, who very very famously when we were in uh, high school uh, died live on the air on WNBC in New York City uh, she after she left acting she was doing the traffic and weather helicopter and oh. she crashed uh she crashed live on the air. Crazy, crazy. Um, But yeah, I mean, everyone is in this and it's just, it's just a million faces that, you know, either you knew then already, like I had seen some of these people before, and then you went on to see them in a million other movies over the years. Uh, But I I would say, I would agree with you that really Shepard and uh, Dennis Quaid are kind of the two that we follow the most with, 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 um, Ed Harris' John Glenn, a close second.
1: Yeah, those two sort of form a viewpoint for the movie. They, they form a lens through which to sort of observe the action or observe the tone of the, of the film and the passage of time in the film. I mean, it goes from 1947 <clears throat> up to... 63. 63, right, which yeah. is a pretty, pretty long time span. Um, the beginning... Cruises by faster, and then around 1960 to 63, it slows down a little
0: bit. But um, because well, there's more events happening, right? The, in the beginning, they're sort of jumping from year to year as the landmark flights come and go. Yeah, they go by about six years
1: or seven years at a time in the beginning because they show Chuck Yeager's X 1 flight where he breaks, quote, the sound barrier uh, for the first time in 1947 in, in the rocket plane. And then they skip ahead to 1953 when the guys who are going to become um, the Mercury astronauts and who also compete to become the Mercury astronauts show up at Edwards, um, that class. And Jaeger at that point is sort of the elder statesman there. Um, and, uh, and then it follows them. It skips ahead then to when they have been at Edwards for several years and they're going to apply to be... Uh, to join nasa at its inception
0: and you know whatever happens in the movie it always comes back to jaeger you know right. the the russians orbit sputnik comes back to jaeger the russians right. orbit gagarin comes back to jaeger you know the russians you know like grissom bails out of his capsule comes back to jaeger like it always comes back to jaeger because he's kind of the lens or he's sort of the avatar through which we see everything, right? We get to see his excitement at the development of all this aviation in the beginning and then his sort of frustration at perhaps being passed over or left behind. Like perhaps, you know, the movie portrays him as, you know, the giant among them all, but he is denied, you know, being an astronaut, to the, even to the point where the scene at the end of the movie where he has the crash in the 104, you know, he is literally shown to be just on the edge of space, but with a few wispy clouds separate him from the stars. Like, like it's not in the cards for Jaeger to go into space. Right. You know, he's in this, by the way. Did you see yeah, Jaeger in has, it? he has a little tiny um, cameo. Cameo. But, you you know, know, he's still alive. He's 95 years old.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, you know. It's pretty what, good.
1: What they didn't really show as well. What they didn't stress. That they in the book they really went to you know Tom Wolf went to lengths to stress how Jaeger really was the first in this type of swaggering um, kind of test pilot pushing the edge um and and how they really all come from Jaeger, they all emulate Jaeger and they all looked up to him tremendously and I think there's a little bit of that once when, when they get to um they get to Edwards in the beginning and they show him you know, they sort of look at him as like he's a a rock star, you know,
0: but... Right, and and he sort of sets the tone that they all mimic. Exactly. So, you know, the book sort of talks about that, I think,
1: how he, even though he, his star waned in some sense when the, during, especially, you know, during the 60s and 70s when astronauts were these colossal um, figures in American life, Uh, you know, they were... Uh, reflections of Nash of, of nationalism and of um, idealism and of American accomplishment uh, in the cold war technologically on the global stage uh, they really reflected true heroism I think to people um, and and Jaeger was was left out of that and yet they all looked at they all got their style from Jaeger and sort of he was their inspiration, their origination to sort of become to, to head down that direction that's the from the test pilot to the astronaut.
0: You know, and in, in in the book, you know, Wolf likens them to sort of like single combat, right? Like in the like in the biblical times where, you know, each army would pick one person to represent them and they would fight to the death. You know, they right. were our single combat warriors going right you know, toe-to-toe with the Russians. Right, gladiators. You know, and, and the movie, you know, one of the, I think, the best scenes in the movie that people often don't talk about because it's understated, and this is not an understated movie, but there is that great scene uh, when they are at the barbecue in, in in Texas right before the movie ends where the reporter asks Cooper who's the best pilot he ever saw, and, you know, like, they're giving him this great opening to say it's me and then he basically realizes that he's talking about jaeger and not himself and he doesn't bring himself to say jaeger's name and his wife realizes that he's tipped his hat and he's not talking about himself when he's really talking about who the best pilot was and then he catches himself because he realizes he's in front of the press and he says himself and everybody laughs but it's it's implicit to the audience that that is his tip of the cap to Jaeger, that he really recognizes sort of Jaeger's primacy in the whole thing. Right,
1: right, and Jaeger, and you know, he, he does, he stays at Edwards, you know, he, he stays out in the desert and he becomes marginalized and almost his flight in the F-104 where he's trying to get the height record is almost like, almost sad. He's trying to, he's sort of chasing the dragon when the, the glory
0: is left. Right, you the know. demon. Yeah. Um, well, and, you know, they even acknowledge that in the film. You know, right. like when when uh, Jack Ridley, I think, the Ridley character says to him, nobody cares about those kind of records anymore.
1: Yeah, right. And, you know, you can see uh, Yeager's disturbed by that.
0: Right, well, because the thing that he is great at and the thing that he's devoted his life to is is no longer prized.
1: Right. And and even though he's, re- he's a pretty... Um, He's not really a glory hound, Jaeger, not not really. But on the other hand, I think he likes being top dog, at least among his peers. Maybe not so much the public as much as the, the astronauts do, but he doesn't wanna be, he still wants to be the center of attention among pilots. And at this point, the astronauts are international megastars. that women are throwing themselves at them constantly. Everybody, you know, they're on the cereal boxes. They're everywhere, right? And he just, I mean, he can't help but sort of feel left out.
0: Right, and he's, and he's out there in the desert all alone. He's still
1: in the same dump, you know, where they turn on the tap and, and rust. The brown water. Yeah, <laughs> rust comes, you know,
0: <laughs> sputtering out of the tap. Did you ever read Jaeger's autobiography? It came out on the heels of uh, this movie. Yeah, I read it's it when we Yeager, were in high school. I think, yeah. and I, I think I did read it, yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. I mean, I've ago. forgotten a lot of it. One of the things I really remember is that he grew up, he talks about how he grew up in West Virginia in a town that was so, like, backwater that yeah. when he joined the army, like— no one could understand what he was saying. Right. Because, like his, like, his hillbilly accent was so thick that, like, he had to find somebody who was slightly less of a hillbilly to interpret for him. Like, his first year in the military, he'd say stuff, people would be like, "Whoa, well, what did he say? I couldn't understand, you know? But he was yeah. actually speaking English, and they just couldn't even follow him. Yeah. Um, I think you gotta give a shout-out, too, to Bill Conti's score. Yeah. Uh, the score in this is just, tremendous uh i mean like when i think of this movie like in a weird sort of way it's like a giant flying music video because there's so many of these scenes you know jaeger breaking the sound barrier cooper's flight glenn's flight i mean there's a little bit of classical music thrown in for a few scenes but not much it's mostly conti's score um yeah. and he,
1: takes he was pieces of classical you know like when he shows the russians he plays like he puts some he makes Russian this, sounding you know, he makes a mashup of it's Tchaikovsky's violin concerto and he sort of mashes that together with patriotic sounding music so he will right. use sort of like riffs or themes out of the out of the, a famous you know piece and then mush it together
0: but if you look at like his you know like the the films that he scored i mean he really knows how to sort of rally the audience and help them to soar with the characters right rocky rocky two yeah. rocky three karate kid yeah. gotcha right um what else did he do um everybody was a pro I, I mean he's yeah movie. that's
1: the bottom line
0: And and they I think they they kind of all were on the same page. Like you get a sense that they all shared Kaufman's vision and were working with him. Like nothing is discordant, like all the pieces of this movie fit together very, very well.
1: Yeah, I mean Erwin Winkler Winkler was the producer who's basically like, you know, produced just every big movie. You know, any wasn't he
0: behind Rocky?
1: Rocky, good fellas, like uh, just t- like
0: t- yeah raging rocky Bowl. rocky too, raging bull, yeah, I mean,
1: and going back to the sixties, yeah, he directed some stuff too, but he uh he did a ton, you know he he was producing he produced a ton of stuff, ton of stuff,
0: yeah, to to good effect, um. You know, it's interesting if you read the Mercury astronauts take on both Tom Wolfe's book and, and the movie um, with with rare exception. They did not like this movie like they did not like they were portrayed, they did not like the way they were portrayed. They felt it made them look a little ridiculous, like Glenn, especially really had a hard time with the way that he was portrayed in the movie. Um, And he thought that it made them out to be jokes. The only one who was kind of okay with his portrayal was Shepard. And Shepard liked the sort of steely, flinty way that they did him. Hmm. And, you know, by all accounts, Shepard was an incredibly difficult person. Um, But Shepard, like, publicly was okay with it. Um and they all by the way they all all the actors met the astronauts that they played except Scott Glenn who didn't want to meet Shepard. He said no, I'll just do it my own way from what I read. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Which is
0: interesting that Shepard's the one who liked the way the film came out. Yeah, and, and um, Shepard's pretty is sort of the
1: the toughest most uh most frat boy out of them all. well
0: uh, Shepard was you know a, a Shepard was a notoriously difficult guy. You know, he was grounded um, after his Mercury flight because he had Meniere's disease. Um, And so they, you know, sort of like a booby prize. They, you know, him and Deke Slayton ran the astronaut office and he was just notorious for being, you know, short-tempered, terse, abrasive, to the point that his, his secretary, and I can't remember his secretary's name, she... There were two photos of of Shepard that were his official portraits, one where he was smiling and one where he was almost scowling. <laughs> and his secretary got in the habit of switching his portrait in his office, so that when people came to see him, they knew which Shepard they would get. That's funny. Like was he in a good mood today or was he in a bad mood? And if 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 she had the picture where he was scowling, people just turned around and walked out and skipped the meeting cuz it wasn't worth going in. <laughs> So one was called Smile and Al, and the other was called the Icy Commander. So that was like, I mean, Shepard was a tough, tough guy. By all accounts, Shepard mellowed after he walked on the moon on Apollo fourteen. He, then he kind of felt like he, you know, he achieved his goals. Right. But sort of between his Mercury flight and his his Apollo flight, uh, very, very difficult guy. He st- I think, I think Shepard, st- I think Shepard might be the only. I think he was one of the few Mercury astronauts who stayed married. Uh, Glenn stayed married and Shepard stayed married, but I think most of them divorced. Hmm. By the way, um, Ed Harris is a dead ringer for John Glenn. I mean, a lot of them look like the people they're playing i know but man does ed harris look like john, know, Glenn. The young
1: john Glenn, He looks just like like he's got the same coloration and then he got a tan and looks the same and yeah his and his hair.
0: head is sort of the same shape yeah. and he's sort of at the same level of balding you know like yeah. they really yeah. they that was, they really did a good
1: job exactly you know yeah i know yeah they really, um, he's very reminiscent
0: man did this movie I think this movie affected me more than it affected you. But when we were, like, in junior high and high school, like, man, did this movie affect me. Like, like, these were guys that I wanted to be. I mean, shit, these are guys I still want to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's such, like, a cool cool appealing sort of vision for like a young boy you know I, I even got an a2 jacket sort of like a brown you know pilot type leather jacket I was so like enamored of sort of the look and the style of this movie yeah um, God knows where that thing is anymore uh, but boy it's uh you know I hadn't seen this movie and maybe a decade or more, uh, in preparation for this podcast. And I was surprised both by how much I remembered and how much I forgot. Like I remembered a lot of the scenes, but a lot of the sort of tone I had forgotten.
1: Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time and I watched most of it again today, actually. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was good to see it again, actually. Um, I'm just, have you, you you said you read the book too yeah i read the book back I mean, a long time ago i only read it once but um yeah the book was really good i, I actually like the book better than the movie um i it's, mean it's hard to make a comparison they're different they're really different
0: that. i think you know kaufman knew tom wolf that's how he got this uh kaufman knew tom wolf personally and they were friends, and I think that they actually had Wolf write the first draft of the screenplay, and they all hated it, <laughs> um, ironically. And then Kaufman told Wolf, like, ah, I'm just going to redo it. And I think Wolf didn't care. I think Wolf was like, yeah, do whatever you need to do. And in a weird sort of way, it sounds like Wolf was harder pressed to write his version of the screenplay, whereas Kaufman, I think I think he wrote the thing very quickly. Like, he wrote the entire screenplay in a week or two. Hmm. Uh, and he was able to sort of capture the feel or sort of the highlight of the tone of the book. Um, it's interesting how virtually nothing is shown from the Russian perspective. You know, just a few scenes. You know, you see a little bit of stock footage. You know, they have that guy who's supposed to be Sergei Korolev, you know, the the Russian version of Von Braun. Uh, but other than that, you really see nothing of the Russians. It's all from our perspective.
1: It's yeah, it's totally from our perspective. The only time they show Russians is really from the from news coverage, more or less. Um, yeah, there is almost none. It's really about the story of American astronauts entirely.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I would probably put this just a hair, just a hair above Apollo thirteen, because I love Apollo thirteen. Like, I mean, I I think I said to you offline, like. Many years ago, if I was a little down the dumps or whatever, I would put on Apollo 13 because it would cheer me up and it would be kind of inspirational. But I think just in some ways, this is a better movie, like it's a little more sweeping um, and it, it just it covers so much stuff, whereas Apollo 13 is a. Even though it's a big story, it's a smaller story than this. It's just it's one flight shown in you know tremendous detail, whereas this is sort of this sweeping arc of history. You know, you get this pie slice of the 20th century that's that's just super interesting to me. And I love, I absolutely love the ending. Like, I think you know they skip some of the astronauts' flights. Like, you really only see yeah. Shepard, Glenn, Grissom, and uh, Cooper. You don't see uh wally shiraz flight at all and you don't see um uh who am i missing you don't see carpenter's flight at all they're just dropped and you really don't see cooper's flight except for the takeoff which really just serves as a way for them to do the closing narration but it's still a great it's still a great bit and they they give you that final narration done by the jack ridley character and there's sort of like a wink to gordo cooper about being just for a minute the best pilot you know maybe just for that day or two he gets to eclipse uh jaeger yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't know like definitely a big winner i remember when i saw this in the theater like uh my dad and i just like floated out of the theater we were like so pumped from <laughs> this movie whereas apollo 13 you know you're you're happy that they lived i don't know that whereas was bro because it's so, oh yeah 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 no 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 I doubt but this gonna, but this they sort apollo of like 13, they did the thing they got it done whereas apollo 13 you know it ends with you know the 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 uh, the jim Lovell character played by hanks talking about how their mission was a successful failure and then it ends with that sort of awkward narration where he sort of looks at the camera and, and essentially says well when are we going back um and that's a little bit of a different tone to give the audience as they walk out yeah but
1: on the other hand they live i mean it's the peak moment of heroism in a way i mean it really was the peak moment of heroism of the space program even though i think the point of that making that movie was to tell a tale that i think people didn't really know that much about but i mean
0: we we're going to do a podcast on politics yeah and don't get me wrong i love Apollo 13. Yeah, like, I've probably next. seen Apollo 13 as many times as I've seen this. I could practically, like, recite Apollo 13. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's no slight at Apollo 13 to say that I think I like this a little bit more, because I really like this movie. You know, it's funny, watching it, I kind of like, I was kind of, like, wondering, like, man, I should watch this more mm-hmm. often. Like, it's really that good. Um, but it's, I was thinking, too, when I was watching this, how hard it is to do a really serious movie about the space program, you know. And and you could argue that in some ways maybe this isn't that serious because they do play a little fast and loose with dates and uh, the timeline and they kind of move people around like, you know, they put people at Edwards who really weren't at Edwards and they just sort of they jump around a little bit and maybe this movie lacks some of Apollo 13's, you know, technical and minute-to-minute accuracy but it makes up for it in the way that it it feels right. Yeah. You know, like this movie makes it look like Jaeger got into the X-1 and broke the sound barrier the first time he ever did it when in fact he had done many flights in the X-1 before he ever attempted to break the sound barrier. Right, of and course. they make they make it look like he just kind of like you know, jumped into that F-104 and roared off into the sky when right. in fact he had done many test flights in the 104 and it was all part of a program. So that's what I mean. Like this movie plays a little fast and loose with some of that stuff, but for the purposes of storytelling, it gets away with it.
1: Right. And, um, right. It, it, uh, it, and the thing it gets, you know, I, I said this, but it really, it gets the, tone it gets the humor right you know it it's not it was clever to to keep the humor some of the humor of the book
0: in there right because like we're competing with archie and jughead they say during the during the the breath test (laughs) yeah they're just like you know they're
1: they're they're such characters i mean they they come from this they have this crazy little culture that they evolved, they speciated out on their own real little weird Island of the test of the swaggering pilot, you know, where they come from. And, uh, it was a weird frat house, crazy conceit that they had. Um, and, uh, and that's, all, and that's really what the book's about. I mean, and with the background of, of kind of nationalism and, uh, and the um, the Cold War, you know the intensity of the Cold War, especially at that point when it was really the the peak of the Cold War, and um, those two things are what the what the book's about. And and the movie it's not as sharply intended, I think, as the book is, but it keeps a lot of the elements and the tone that the book has, even if it's not quite as you know not quite as sharply focused on on those literary thematic aspects that the book has but but um but it's well done
0: because yeah it's it the movie intact. is more concerned with feel than fact
1: right well the book's really about the about the culture you know i mean the, that's really what the book's about so it's about the feel of the culture um,
0: and and the book even talks about how the culture has spilled over you know like when right. you're flying on a commercial jet the pilot is going to talk to you in a sort of Jaeger-esque way because that's what they've been, you know, sort of acculturated to do. Right. Um, apparently, the book... So, I, I had read in the past that, you know, Wolf was interested in the astronauts and he wanted to write a book about the entire space program and then it took him years just to write the Mercury part and he, he sort of stopped there. Right. But apparently, I didn't know this, but the book is actually... Um, an expanded version of a four-part article series he wrote for Rolling Stone called "Port" called "Post Orbital Remorse" that does not appear to be online. I'd be sort of curious to read that because in that he is apparently talking extensively about Apollo, and I think from that he went back and started from the beginning. But it would be interesting to to read "Post Orbital Remorse" and see how it how it compares to the book. Hmm. You know, I remember when. Um, when the Space Shuttle first launched and landed, that was certainly before I'd heard of Tom Wolf and before I'd read the right stuff. I remember when the Space Shuttle landed, seeing Wolf on TV saying, like, this was a return to the real type of astronauts that you have to have. Like, they don't just fly it up like a rocket. They land it like an airplane. And I remember he was very, very big on the idea that the shuttle... You know required actual flying and i remember just you know we were a little when that happened i remember sort of not really grasping what he was talking about and years later when i read the right stuff and saw it i remembered that interview that he did uh and sort of was able to sort of i guess see what he was talking about but it was interesting that he viewed the space shuttle through a very different lens than i think most people did
1: right and um right i mean and the fact that you know, the space shuttle was 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 in many ways a massive disappointment in general. But I guess you know he picked up on the one cool thing about it. It's true. I mean, it took a lot of skill to, to get down from <laughs> yeah. you know, if you want to look at it that way.
0: And I, I'd say there's more than one cool thing to the space shuttle. But you know, you could see how he, how it sort of pushed his button. You know, I read I read a fair bit of uh, Tom Wolf. I haven't read everything he's done, but I probably read half of his books. Yeah, me too. The right I'd say right stuff and bonfire the vanities are kinda of the, the two the two ones that really stand out in my mind with, with a man in full sort of like a notch below. And a lot of the others just sort of melted away for me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Although they did not I guess make- he he's I guess he passed away, Tom Wolf, a couple of
1: years ago. Yeah, they did not make a good movie out of Bonfire of the Vanities.
0: Did you ever, you know, the story of uh, of his white suit? Why he always wore the white suit? Yeah, but I forgot what it was. So Wasn't he, he being a
1: jerk about it, like was yeah, he yeah, was no, to do it to exactly. Be a jerk it
0: so he, people. yeah, he he bought it to wear in the summer, and then he wore it off season. I guess you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day or whatever, right? And he discovered that it really pissed people off right, if he so wore he a white suit. Yeah, so like he he wore it every day, practically. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty good. I know it's pretty good. I miss uh, I miss Tom Wolf. So John um, Glenn died in, in
1: just a not even two years ago in December 2016
0: at 95. Yeah. <laughs>
1: John Glenn and uh, Shepard died about twenty
0: years ago. In Shepard had days. lymphoma, I believe. And um, uh, Gus Grissom obviously. And, well, died Gus Grissom obviously died in fire. Apollo One. Gordo Cooper died in two thousand and four, um, and Slayton died in nineteen ninety three poor slayton he had a rough run we were getting a little bit off topic here but slayton died in 2007 yeah yeah, slayton never flew in mercury because he got a fib right and then they made him head of the astronaut office he never flew in gemini and then he literally got aboard the very very rock bottom last flight of the apollo program as he flew the apollo Soyuz mission which is just basically a pr thing right um but that was basically like they, you know, they threw him a bone, and he finally got to fly um, at fifty-one. Man, he hung in there a long time, Deke Slayton. Jeez. Yeah,
1: but you know, he he had a probably a better career for not flying on Mercury than he would have.
0: I, I guarantee you, he would have given it all up to fly on Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> Probably yeah. That's the way those guys oh, yeah. were exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, because you know those were you know those were some of the ultimate test flights. Yep. Um, I think I've read I read Cooper's biography. I read Glenn's. And these are their autobiography. I read Cooper's, Glenn's. Um, I've I've read biographies or autobiographies. I think of all the Mercury astronauts. Uh, I mean the astronauts have been written about like to the point of exhaustion but uh you know who had the worst book believe it or not was John Glenn like John Glenn wrote an autobiography that was just terrible and the reason I say that is like he was so he was trying so Guarded. hard to be squeaky clean and not say a bad word about anybody and never right. tell an off color story about himself that he sanitized his, his own life story so much that it became, to use a term that you would, you would like, pablum.
1: Right.
0: You know, and, and you know, like, it's just hard to believe that a guy with his experiences in government, right, in the air, oh, in, sorry, in the Marines as an life. astronaut, and I think he flew in Korea. Didn't he, he fly in Korea? War, he, he flew in World no, War II. he flew II. in... And, and Korea. And Korea. Yeah, and, and it, like it's an so... Ace. Yeah, I mean, he's flying in MiG Alley. Um, yeah, he, and he, and his he, he his book six, I remember being. He won I was six just,
1: DFCs and eighteen air medals.
0: I was just crushed when I read his autobiography. It was it was like it was like vanilla ice cream. Yeah. That was like that was you know that guy. He really could have told a great story. The book about Shepard is really good. It's called Light This Candle, and it's pretty thick. That's a phone book also, and that's sort of about sort of he was a sort of a dark complex guy. Cooper's. Uh, and Carpenter's books are more sort of about about sort of how like their careers faltered uh, after mm-hmm. a while, and they didn't really achieve a lot of what they wanted to. And Shara and Slayton's books are they're okay, they're, they're nothing great. I can, they're kind of de rigueur, so I read them, but mm-hmm. uh, they're not great. Uh, and obviously, there's no Grissom book. You know, they think. By the way, I guess you know one thing that this movie did come under probably fair criticism for is a lot of people felt that this movie trashed grissom and and sort of followed wolf's lead and sort of portrayed him as the you know as they say in the movie the squirming hatch blower yeah um and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of evidence that he actually uh blew the hatch you know in a moment of panic and they you know the movie goes out of its way to say that it couldn't have happened by accident but it may in fact have happened by accident yeah i don't know if
1: anybody's ever gonna know
0: no they can't because um remember they found liberty bell 7 in the bottom of the ocean about 20 years ago yeah they didn't find the hatch uh and they looked they really looked for the hatch because they really 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 wanted to answer the question grissom's brother was the part of the expedition that found the uh the spacecraft and they really wanted to find the hatch Right. and they never did. So without the hatch, you can't answer the question, but you know, the, there's different explanations. One is that um, he may have been, and this is, you know, there's lots of different explanations, but one of the ones that I always felt was kind of plausible is that some people think that he may have been trying to keep the emergency knife in the capsule as a souvenir. And, like, the way you would have to position yourself and posture to to pull the emergency knife, you could potentially hit the the hatch mechanism to, to blow the bolts. And some people think that that would kind of go with his personality. You know, he was bringing up those souvenirs. dimes for souvenirs. And then when they found the capsule in the bottom of the Atlantic, it was full of dimes, believe it or not. Right. Um, but some people think that he might have been trying to take souvenirs for himself. And then there's... Some of the other astronauts said, "No, no, no, it was just blue. He wasn't trying to do anything, but there's, there's about a million theories as to exactly what happened with that hatch. but I always kind of you know, that one about him taking a souvenir that did sort of ring true for a guy who was bringing up dimes. Yeah, I mean the
1: most I mean it, the most plausible thing is that some whether on purpose or not, somehow, his arm somehow had it happen. Because, you know, why would it blow when he was down? If it was going to blow accidentally, how come it didn't blow while he was like at 2,000 feet or something?
0: Yeah, right. Right. When I mean, he, something must have right. Something must have happened. You know, it was amazing. I remember when they found Liberty Bell Seven. I was really excited by that. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing how how apparently. good it looks. Like I remember seeing even the photos of it at the bottom of the ocean. Like it looked pretty good after sitting there for you know thirty years. And then they restored it. Uh, it's at the Kansas Cosmosphere, and holy cow, does it look good? I mean, even when they brought it up from the bottom of the ocean, it it really did not show a ton of wear. Like it looked great. Yeah. It um, just has some like,
1: some like corals or shit that grew on the, the top of it. You know? <laughs> yeah,
0: but not much. I know, not much. It was, th- and it was
1: like 37 years or whatever it was uh, <laughs> down
0: there. Yeah. But now it looks great. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never, I've been to a lot of air and space museums, but I've never been to the the Kansas Cosmosphere. Um, oh, man. I don't know. A good movie. Like, I mean, you can see how much sort of emotion and feeling this movie engenders. Yep. Um, so I guess next week, Apollo 13. Correct. I mean, because I mean, these are kind of the big, 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 you know, movies that are trying or tried to do the space program in detail. I guess these, these, these movies and from the earth to the moon are probably the most serious attempts to tell the story um of the American space program
1: right
0: there's some good russian movies you know we we can it might be you know maybe not for a podcast but uh uh, Salyut Seven is a sort of highly dramatized uh, version of the Salyut Seven story, which is available on Amazon for streaming. And there's um, there's a movie that was made a couple years ago about Gagarin that was really good, and I can't remember the title of no, it. I haven't seen that. But uh, yeah, the Russian space program's super interesting too. But anyway, all right. Huh. All so right should we wrap there? Yep. Next time. All right, Apollo So 13. next time, Apollo thirteen. All mm-hmm. right. Talk to you later. All right, everybody. Uh, Peter and I will save a stick of Beeman's for you. <laughs> you might not want to, you know, actually chew it, but right. But just sort of have it sort of visible in your shirt pocket, so people can see it and think that you're cool. <laughs> and don't tell them it tastes like Ben Gay. <laughs> they won't know. Where it right, don't no worry. <laughs> ben Gay or the Beeman's. <laughs> oh God! All righty, man. All right, bye.